Welcome to your upfront moment. We're building a confidence revolution. Hi friend, welcome back. I'm so happy you're here. This week I am joined by Stacey Grant Canham, who is the founder of Black and Beach, a small business putting feminism at the heart of fashion. Black and Beach is a bold brand with a whipstart ethos, offering quality design-led products that do what they can to make a statement, make a change and help those in need. Stacey and Black and Beach aren't about paying lip service to feminism. They are a bright example, striving every day to implement practical ways to make the world a better place. In this conversation, Stacey talks a lot about her upbringing, her childhood, her journey of starting Black and Beach and how it has evolved into the brilliant brand that it is today. She talked about motherhood and how it has radicalised her. She talked about her Irishness and how she often feels misunderstood as an Irish immigrant in Britain. Stacey tells us the story of designing her very first t-shirt and how it has gone from that t-shirt to a brand that has now donated over £13,000 to charities supporting women's rights. She talks about her journey as an accidental entrepreneur, as someone who grew up believing you needed to have a safe, steady job with a pension. And I think these stories are so important. We don't hear enough from women founders who don't have a fallback plan, who don't have a safety net, who are the breadwinners. Stacey's story is inspiring and Black and Beach is an amazing business that we can all learn so much from. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Thanks for being here. Let's go. Welcome to Upfront Moments, Stacey. It's so nice to see you. How are you doing this morning? You too, Lauren. I'm okay, but flustered and rushing around but I'm good I'm happy to see you too. So let's start at the top tell us who you are tell us all about Black and Beach and your mission there. Oh well my name is Stacey Grant Canham I'm a mum of two sons and a wife and I'm the founder of Black and Beach which is a feminist informed fashion brand designed to empower women and encourage feminist activism And I started it seven years ago after I had my eldest boy, Clement. I think motherhood was very radicalizing for me politically. I was always quite political and considered myself a feminist. But I think bringing a child into this world at that time, I just felt, I don't know, all my kind of political concerns and beliefs became really amplified. And I was a fashion design lecturer in a university here in Cardiff since 2011, I think. So I had a background in fashion. I did a, a master's in Kingston in London and I was working in academia. Look at that perfect mug there, Lauren. Yay! I was trying to be discreet so that you wouldn't hear me slurping my tea in the in the audio, but I don't care. Everybody, I've got my Black and Beach mug and it's really great and I love it. Nice. Yeah, so I guess I have managed to combine my fashion background and my feminism mm-hmm. to create this business. So there you go. And where does confidence fit into this for you? What is your relationship with confidence? 
Gosh, you should be a therapist. That's a great question to get into the psyche. I think when I was a child, people would have perceived me as confident. And I don't think I was at all, actually. And I think people's understanding or impression of what confidence looks like particularly in like little girls is often kind of skewed and yeah that's a whole other conversation but I think yeah I would say people have always seen me as quite confident because I'm probably what the Brits would consider direct and what I think of as just being Irish so I just say it how it is and I think that comes from a place of just being very honest about myself and, and the world as I see it and things like that but I think a lot of people read that as oh she's very confident so actually that none of that's to do with confidence I don't think what I learned in the process of the kind of transition to go full-time with Black and Beach was that confidence comes from a kind of inner knowing that you can rely on yourself and that was the real shift that kind of had to happen and having confidence and faith in myself that if and when things go wrong that I can work through the problems to get to the solution and I think I've gained a lot of confidence from just knowing that and actually like kind of I don't know if embodying is the right word but sort of ingesting that idea has really helped me and I think you know thinking back a bit to the bond as well and my own kind of fake it till you make it like everyone has doubts or you know you put yourself out of your comfort zone and you think I really can't do this but okay I'm gonna give it a go and I guess that's kind of who I am so even if I'm not sure I think I generally will give it a go yeah I saw a great quote the other day that said your success in life is directly linked to the number of times you say fuck it I'll figure it out yeah I love that because I think we share that and probably I think there's similarities probably with the Scots and the Irish where there's this kind of honesty and directness and plain talking cutting through the bullshit which I think can often be perceived as confidence and I think sometimes it is and confidence is part of that but also sometimes it's not right sometimes it's the only way you know how to be yeah and I think it can you know it can be really hard when you're trying to assimilate into another culture so I think people perceive like I always say I'm an Irish immigrant to Britain I'm a foreigner who's an economic migrant you know I came here for a job and I think people see all the similarities between Britain and Ireland and think we're really similar and we are really similar in lots of ways but I have felt really misunderstood at lots of times just for my Mm -hmm. Irishness or like my liberal use of swearing you know things like that and what I'm finding really interesting is like I'm reading Emma Dabry's new book Disobedient Bodies it's brilliant it's really short actually and she's you know she's writing in English but in the Irish vernacular style what's it Hiberno English I think and it's so refreshing to be like yeah there's other people who are resisting having to translate our kind of I don't know our ways of saying things and I just found that really refreshing to read Here's a question for you, which is me going off on one, because yesterday I was having a conversation on Instagram about how I've just totally failed to read nonfiction this year. Like I've read some amazing fiction books and I'm like really proud of, yeah, I've read some amazing books, found some amazing new authors and I'm really happy that, you know, my kid's at a stage now where he'll sit and watch a movie, sit colouring by himself. You know, my life just feels in a place now where reading's much more possible. But I find reading nonfiction just so difficult. Like, even you describing that book, I'm like, of course I want to read that. But I know if I read that, it's just going to fire me up and fill me with mm-hmm. ideas and get me excited. And I, like, how do you do that? Because I feel like you're often reading a lot of 
feminist texts. I mean, I have a feminist library to die for. Like I have them all, but I don't, I really don't read them at all because I think, well, I spend all day doing this and thinking about this stuff. And when I want to read or have any downtime, I don't want to go back there. So what's your secret? That's Tell interesting. Us, yeah, I don't know if I think of reading as downtime. Maybe that's um... the difference. I feel like when I'm looking for inspiration or like I feel like it underpins my work so much and the ideas that come through and whatever I'm reading, which by the way, like I'm rubbish. I'm nowhere near where I want to be with kind of getting through all the stuff on my bookshelf as well. But I definitely am more into nonfiction at the moment and biographies and things. Um, I'm listening to Brittany um, on Mm. audio, which is quite nice. I love a biography on audio. But yeah, I think I don't see it as a downtime thing. I see it more as inspiration and Mm. work and kind of especially things around like activism and social movements and things that might have mm-hmm. happened like I find that really compelling to learn about and the interconnectedness of it all is inspiring but yeah I don't know if it doesn't rile me up in that way I'm definitely like a, a note taker highlighter underlining kind of style of reader yeah. like I'd get stressed out if I was reading Emma's book and I didn't have a pencil or a pen to hand like that would bother me because mm-hmm. I'd be like oh I haven't <laughs> underlined the bit that I need to go back to I'm dyslexic as well so I think I've used note taking as like a what do they call it like a compensation of my working memory being quite shocking like I'll finish that book and you'll be like what's it about and I'm like well can't remember but I really liked it I'm like it's absolutely amazing people are like why I'm like I don't know it just is (laughs) yeah my husband is like a huge vociferous is that the right word reader like he just plows through really really complex books he's reading something on the Middle East at the moment that's like really layered and he like sometimes I'll be like just give me the synopsis like what what's happening now and um but he can remember all the dates and the facts and the figures and the disagreement and then there was this and there was this I'm like I just I think this is why I'd always lose in a debate like I kind of know what I'm getting at but I wouldn't ever be able to pull all the information out of my arse like he can well, I think that tip is quite insightful. If I imagine kind of starting, you know, if I was to think about it as a work task, scheduling it into my work day, maybe that's something that I'm going to experiment with and prototype, see how, see if it helps. But let's get back onto Black and Beach. So I want to take us back to where you were in your life, the day that you were deciding what to put on your first T-shirt that you were going to print and promote and mm. sell. Like talk us through that. Yeah, I think so much of this I've half forgotten, actually. I was telling someone the other day and I was like, oh, yeah, and then this bit happened and then this bit happened. So basically I had Clement in 2016 and, like I said, really politicising. And then I used to go to this baby yoga class and some of the women there were wearing these necklaces with beads on them that their babies were like playing with and fiddling with while they were breastfeeding. And I was breastfeeding and I was like, that's really handy because he was really pulling my hair and stuff. But I thought the necklaces didn't look very nice. They weren't my aesthetic. And so I went off and was like, oh, I could make my own, but I'll make them quite cool. This is like, I'm going to give you a really shortened version of this because it's (laughs) not that important to the next bit. So for a while, I made black and wood jewellery for mums to wear and babies to play with and teeth on. And that's where Black and Beach came from as a name. And it was very small scale, kind of cottage industry, making stuff, selling a small amount and then buying more beads and stuff. But then Donald Trump became the president. Brexit happened. 
the Women's March happened. A repeal of the 8th was like really coming to a head in Ireland. So there was so much kind of really bad stuff happening in the world and women pushing back. And I was finding that really inspiring. But I was also it was such a kind of digital movement and full of young people, which was brilliant. But I was like, where are mothers in this? And like, how do we exist within the feminist space? So I saw a protest sign that said a woman's place is in the resistance with Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia. And I was like, ooh, a mother's place is in the resistance. Like, what Mm. does that mean? So I started thinking about that. And I'd also at the same time found out about Abortion Support Network, which was a charity based in the UK founded by Mara Clark, which supports, well, at the time it was supporting a lot of Irish women who had to travel or get information or get money to travel to the UK to have an abortion. And they were really grassroots. The work they were doing was so kind of visceral to me that like my sisters in Ireland were having to catch a shitty Ryanair flight not having the money and you know and having to get like tiny grants like some people got grants of a fiver or a tenner it was like I can pay all this but I don't have this much extra or you know anyway I could go on about what they do all day but so I kind of decided that I had this idea for this t-shirt and I had been doing some screen printing kind of induction and workshop in my local screen printing studio called the print house just for something creative to do during my maternity leave and I had come across an illustrator called Philip Morgan and I really liked his aesthetic it's kind of very street and graffiti inspired and I basically asked him when he draw up this idea I had for like a kind of resistance fist holding something that like symbolized motherhood or childhood so it was a crayon and he did that for me I screen printed it onto some t-shirts I remember picking the red because it reminded me of the Handmaid's Tale was on TV at the time with the cloaks and the kind of visual of that color so I made these t-shirts and I decided I was going to give five pound from each sale to abortion support network and I was really nervous I didn't know what to do because I think at the time well I certainly feel like if I was doing it in Ireland I would have gotten a lot of backlash there's such an organized anti-choice movement so there was that fear and then also I had been making these teething necklaces to sell to new mothers essentially I was really worried about how kind of talking about abortion would go down but I sort of was like oh I can't not do it now like now that the idea is in my head I'm gonna do it so I followed through did it it was really interesting it was really well received and I remember reaching out to sort of influencers and some were like oh I don't think I can share that message and some were like all for it and they did which was really nice but we sold quite a few and then I was active in a Facebook group called Parents for Choice which was all around the repeal the eighth campaign and, and based in Ireland and they were all kind of getting organized for the campaign and things so I did some merch for them as well parents for choice merch and I gave proceeds of that to the repeal the eighth campaign and then sort of that's I think when I sort of yeah started to kind of align with that as a as a cause that I wanted the business to be aligned with really and yeah that's kind of where the first one came from and we still print that one and sell it and still give money to ASN still I love that what a story and we will put links to your shop and the charity and the show notes so folks can go and get their A Mother's Place is in the Resistance t-shirt if they wish. And so I guess that was your life for a while after that was juggling that and being a mum and your job at the university when you went back to work. And then I remember you and I having a lot of conversations at this time where you were just so frustrated that Black and Beach wasn't the thing you were spending all your time on and feeling really 
conflicted and torn of should I quit my job should I stay is there another option I've not thought of like talk to me about that time in your life and the kind of reality of making the decision of when to leave your job and go full time also you know any advice that you would give to someone in a similar position because I know there are lots of women listening who are employed and feel very pulled to either a very different type of employment or setting up on their own building a venture I just feel like I'm meeting a lot of women at the moment who are feeling very stuck between two choices and you know I've been there myself and I've I talk a lot about this in in another podcast episode that it took me six years to go full-time up front for a lot of the reasons that you and I talked about when you were making the decision and I don't think we talk enough about how hard it can be to make that call and often it's not a kind of overnight I feel like you only overhear of I don't know it's a bit unfair of me to say like an overnight success because that's not quite what I mean I think you hear but people are like oh I'm gonna start a business and then they Mm -hmm. start a business and that was definitely not the case for me I am an accidental entrepreneur I don't even feel like I can call myself an entrepreneur but I think for me my story is like hugely tied up with my upbringing my childhood So my dad had his own business and came from a long line of people who had their own business all in the rag trade. My dad was a tailor and my dad had a massive brain aneurysm when I was six and he nearly died and he was in a coma. And we kind of prior to that were, I would say, like just like a working class family who were kind of comfortable, like we had a car, my parents had a mortgage, that sort of thing. And then we kind of went to shit what now like there was no safety net at all and I think my mum as well was very like oh god because she you know her work was supporting him in the business and she had to kind of quickly figure out what to do with like three kids her husband having you know brain surgery really disabled and what she can do with this business and all that kind of stuff so I have absolutely no idea how she managed to be totally honest but yeah so she ended up being his carer and you know I grew up with my dad on disability allowance kind of thing so I suppose I grew up on benefits as they say in Britain. I was really lucky that I went to art college in my hometown Limerick School of Art and Design. I probably couldn't have gone anywhere else because I lived at home throughout it and I had an amazing kind of education there but this is all to kind of say I grew up thinking I will never have my own business. I would never do that. That's so much risk, you know, that someone can take. And I would like a safe, steady job with a pension. Thanks. So I was always quite clear that I wanted to go into lecturing for all these reasons. And then at the time when I applied for my lecturing job, my mum had developed ovarian cancer and was very, very sick. And we kind of knew she wasn't going to come out of that. And I think... I applied and got that job during her illness and then I think about six months later she passed away and that was you know I look back and think was that like a really shitty thing to do to leave her to go to Wales to do that but she was so ridiculously happy and proud and I think now as a mum you realise like with your kids you just want them sorted and if you are dying and you think they're not sorted like you know I think I ticked something off her list of things to worry about so in a way it was good and I don't know if any of this would have happened if I hadn't moved to Wales but I guess my point about all of this is like you know all of those things mean that I don't have a fallback I don't have someone to call when the shit hits the fan and 
to be totally honest, being a part-time lecturer is not a hugely well-paid job either. I was always part-time and I was kind of hustling to try and get other hours and things. And the job never felt like it was part-time. It felt like it was full-time. So on the days when I wasn't sort of contracted, I was still working on it and things like that. Yeah, so that was kind of, you know, and I really loved teaching and I still love and miss the interaction with my students and, and it brought lots of really interesting opportunities. So I would I would never rule out going back to it. But then I had my kids. My eldest is going to be eight next year and my youngest just turned five. So had the two boys within kind of three or four years. And during that time, my husband became quite unwell with his mental health. And I basically was just carrying a million different loads of the usual shit that mums have to do plus being the breadwinner and kind of hustling two jobs and at one point I had a third job so I got myself into a situation where I was completely frazzled and burnt out and it's really difficult because like I knew that that was the end thing that was going to happen there was no way all the things I was doing were sustainable but I also didn't feel like I had a massive choice so it was really tough and that all came to a head probably around this time last year or even earlier in the late summer I remember you know I was really really struggling we were definitely chatting around then because I was feeling so torn I knew I needed to quit one of the two things so I was like I quit the university and go all in on Black and Beach which is like I just felt like it was like a dream not a real business for a long Mm -hmm. time and all of that and then the other side is like go all in on the university and like you know get more hours and take the seniority that potentially is being offered in different things and I was like how could I quit Black and Beach it's like my baby like it is my third child so it was like all this back and forth for ages and then I just broke and was kind of completely burnt out and I had to take some time off work and in a way that was great because it forced me to stop and I did a lot of journaling and I did you know a lot of kind of I would like timetable myself and be like you can't work now so you have to go for a walk or meet someone for a swim or whatever so it kind of gave me a little bit of clarity and then I had a few different interactions with people that kind of shifted my mindset so one was a complete stranger that I was just having a conversation with at Stylist Live and she had gone to see Bernadine Everesto do a talk I really feel like I credit this woman with a lot and I was like well what was it like and she was saying that Bernadine was basically like supremely confident in her talent and knew that one day she would make it so for like you know again that overnight success thing there's like 20 years of fucking really hard work and living on you know very little during that period and she had said something like her mindset was always what if it goes right rather than the mindset that I had which was what if it goes wrong? So I think I'd lived my whole life thinking, what if it goes wrong? How do I mitigate for that? What would I do here? And, you know, I remember when I was doing the bond, I was like thinking, okay, how much money would I need to have turned over or like in the bank? You know, I was always giving myself these goals. If I do this, I'll quit. And I'd reach the goals and then not quit. And I remember when I did the bond, it was like, you have to draw a line in the sand. What's it going to take kind of thing? So that conversation made me realize that my mindset was blocking me and then there was another experience where I was in here packing orders or something and I had like Netflix on and it was this uh he's since been disgraced but anyway this Hollywood actor doing a documentary with his therapist I don't even remember his name but the therapist was interesting and he was talking about how life is like one challenge after another and true confidence comes from knowing that you'll just have to meet each challenge work through the problem 
and carry on. And I was listening to this while I was thinking about all the problems I was working through. And I was like, yeah, you've gotten through like all of this other shit, Stace. Like what makes you think that you can't get through any future shit? And I was thinking, I was like, well, the evidence base is there that I can get through this actually so I remember like it's still on the wall as like a packing a mailer and I like scribbled a quote about true confidence comes from knowing whatever it was I can't remember it off by heart put that up on the wall and kind of those things were all simmering around and I was kind of like how can I go back to work and it just got to a point where I was like I can't go back to this job this job is not healthy for me anymore and I resigned (laughs) So I quit that and then I got a little office and I had a freelance person working for me. I offered them a job and I just started to kind of because I once I'd quit, I was like, right, I'm all in now. I've got to make this work. This has I have to make the numbers make mm-hmm. sense. And I knew I couldn't do that on my own as well. So yeah, that's what happened. How do you feel telling that story when you think about where you are now and where the business is now? I feel really proud of myself, which probably, you know, my inner child is probably craving someone to be proud of me. I don't know, but I do feel really proud of myself. I feel really happy with what I've achieved this year. Like I said to you earlier, we're going on our like Christmas do later and there's five of us. So my husband does bits and pieces to help out here. So I was like, fine, I'll buy you dinner. And I have two casual ladies who are awesome. And Haley, who's kind of my right hand and does everything to do with all of our fulfillment and stuff. So we're going to do some screen printing and go for lunch. And I just feel like so proud that, you know, this time last year, I wasn't, I was kind of joining in on someone else's Christmas do. And now I've got this little kind of world I've built and I just feel delighted like and also I think yeah my health is so much better like my kind of everything about my mindset my health and taking care of myself by doing the right thing by me instead of kind of thinking all the time well we'll be destitute and then this will happen and then like it's great to know that I can provide for my family and yeah Amazing. Well, congratulations. It's been an honour to be in your pocket over the journey. So the last question I would love to ask you is when Upfront achieves our mission of supporting a million women with their confidence and visibility and leadership, how will the world be different from your perspective? Oh, my God. I feel there's so much to say about that, isn't there? Like, we're just doing it all wrong. <laughs> Society. <laughs> I I just... Yeah, I feel it would be incredible. And I think I'm so here to see how things can be done differently because there is definitely another way. Like every single aspect of politics and what we're seeing going on in the world, like all of these huge conflicts, like where why aren't women the ones at the table resolving these conflicts? Like there's evidence that women involved in these kind of in peace talks and stuff like that get better outcomes. I just think like, yeah, I can't even imagine what it would be like, but I think it would be absolutely amazing. And I love what you're doing, Lauren. And yeah, I think I wish every woman that I know could feel their inner kind of strength and power and and step into it and kind of allow themselves to shine because everyone has so much to give, you know. Everybody does have so much to give. And I think your shift of what if it all works out, what's the best thing that could happen is a really nice takeaway to end on for folks so thank you so much for this time thank you for sharing your journey it's been so fun to hear bits of your story that i didn't know about thank you it's been nice to talk about it 
Thank you for tuning in to this week's Upfront Moment. Before I say goodbye, I want to remind you to follow Upfront on Instagram and join the other 5,000 women all over the world who get our weekly newsletter. Go to weareupfront.com to find out more. Bye friends, I'll see you on Monday for your next Upfront Moment.